Hello, everybody. Um, I just want to say before I forget, we're going to be showing some video, but there will be subtitles, so you want to be close enough so you can read it. Um, so I don't mind if you're shuffling around during the seminar or if you want to move closer to the front now, that's okay as well. You can shove some people with good eyesight out of the way in the front. So thank you so much for the opportunity to come and speak. We bit nervous, haven't done New Horizon before, forgot my notes, so we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm working out in Central Africa, not a very well-known country, um, smack in the middle of Africa. Some people here have been. Um, borders with countries like Libya, Sudan, Central African Republic, Cameroon, Nigeria. So it's generally not somewhere in your hit list to go, you know, to get a good tan. However, at around 50 degrees, you could certainly get a change of colour for sure. So that's where I'm working. But today we're going to be looking at a pretty general topic. And so I'm not just going to be talking about Chad, hopefully keeping a little bit wider, but obviously drawing from the experience and understanding that I do have. So hopefully we can keep it as um, informal and interactive as possible. So just so you know where I'm coming from. Now, the title is Disposable People Working with the Marginalized, and I want to actually talk about the marginalized and the vulnerable, but it's always good to get a bit of a definition. Who can kind of give us a rough idea of how you would explain what the vulnerable people are? What does it mean to be vulnerable? Any ideas? Don't be shy. Not protected against abuse. Thank you. Yeah. At risk from people with more power. Yeah. At, at risk in general. At risk. So not feeling protected, not feeling safe. It could be physical. It could be um, spiritual, emotional, at risk, vulnerable. What about marginalized? Can anyone define marginalized for me? Say again. You need to yell. Bit of gusto. Oh, uh-huh. You get marginalized, right, for having an English accent. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> So what does that mean? You get kind of shut out, slagged. You get the look. Yeah, you get a look. If you're a little bit different, a little bit strange, not being English, but yeah. So marginalized, being on the fringe, not being included. One dictionary definition I looked up said being considered as unimportant. Being considered as unimportant. So I'm actually going to be using these terms marginalized and vulnerable interchangeably because they're very closely connected and you can figure that out I'm sure I'm not going to bore you with explaining why. So where you are right now on your own I just want you to take one minute and I don't want you to traumatize yourselves that's not necessary but I want you to just think for one minute of an experience that you have had where you felt either vulnerable so at risk uncomfortable or you felt marginalized, out on the fringes, not included, considered as unimportant. So just take a minute to think of that. It could be something like your car breaking down and feeling in danger, or not being included whenever sports teams were being picked, or something like that. It doesn't have to be a very, very heavy topic for you. So take a minute to think about that. Okay, and I don't want you to talk about the actual experience that you're thinking of now, but if you can turn to a person next to you and just in one word give the feeling of how it felt to be marginalized or vulnerable. How did it feel? So you don't have to go into the experience. You can just say maybe, for example, scared. So if you just turn to the person next to you or behind you and give them one word to explain how you felt. And maybe if you can think of one word 
to say what would have helped or what did help? Just again, one word. What would have helped you in that situation to feel better? And then discuss it with your partner. Okay. One words can go a long way, can't it? Okay, so if we come back together again, anyone want to give me some feedback on the word that you came up with to explain how you felt when you were vulnerable or marginalized? How did you feel? Just shout out. Lonely? Sad? Rubbish? Scared? Angry? Yeah. What else? It's really good. Excluded. Fragile. Yeah. Anxious. Afraid. Frustrated. Yeah. Really good input, guys. We've all been there in one way or another. We felt afraid or isolated or frustrated. We felt fragile, like you might break in an instant. Cut off, angry. And we're living in a country that's relatively stable, pretty wealthy, and there's a whole system to provide certain security. And yet, let's not forget that in our own society, there are a lot of people feeling marginalized and vulnerable. Big issues like refugee um, crisis that's going on at the moment. We all know that the subject of sexual orientation is a big topic at the moment. Religious, um, belief system, political orientation, mental health issues. There's a lot going on around us. And I don't want to overlook those, but for the purpose of this seminar, I want to look especially at one group of a very vulnerable and marginalized group, and that is women and their children. Vulnerable and marginalized women, and primarily those in the developing world. If I could just ask Gordon to read one verse for me from Genesis. This is Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created human beings, making them to be like himself. He created them male and female, and he blessed them. Our God, our amazing creator God, who put this globe into space, he created the heavens and the earth, he then created mankind, humanity, male and female. And we've probably all been to Sunday school here. What did Jesus say about what he'd made whenever he made man and woman? It was very good. Male and female, very good. Made in the image of who? God. So that means that you and me, we are made in the image of Almighty God. And yet, today, 600,000 female fetuses are aborted every year in India simply because they're female. A BBC documentary that you can look at online also cited that thousands of little girls in India are killed by their mothers, by their fathers, by their grandparents simply because they're girls. 
those whom God called very good, who bear the image of God and yet are deemed as worthless and murdered by their own flesh and blood. This is what's happening in our world today. I want to take you, give you a little story of a, a friend whom I know in Chad, and I'll call her Amanda to protect her identity. And Amanda has been involved in prostitution because of a, a background of abuse and poverty, essentially. And I was sitting with Amanda, she's a good friend, and about five other girls were there with her. And the conversation was going as it does with girls and got, came around to the question that I asked, Amanda, where do you find your value? And she looked at me and without hesitation, she said, Naomi, I have no value. And there were about five friends in the room of a similar background to her own, all of them I knew. And I looked at them and each of them responded to me, I have no value. I have no value. I have no value. And my heart felt pierced. I knew these women. I loved them. I had shared God's message of hope with them before. I'd spent time in hospitals with them. And so I knew they, they knew about Jesus. And I said, well, okay, so God, when he took on human flesh and he was flogged and beaten and then he was hung on a cross and he bled out and he almost suffocated to death and then he died. Did, did he do that just for men? Oh, no, 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 they said. Did he do it just for married women? Because they said they had no value because they weren't married. No, no, no. Some of them said, but, but we don't have children. I said, did Jesus die only for mothers? No. So I said to them, your value is in the fact that God himself shed his blood for you. You're precious to him. The response, blank faces. And I believe God prompted me in what I shared and it wasn't completely in vain. But yeah, that was nice for me to say, you're precious, you're loved, you're made in the image of God. He gave everything for you. But you see what they experienced every day of life was exploitation, abuse, being marginalized by the church as well as those outside the church, being told, if you don't have a husband, you have no value. If you don't have sons, you have no value. You have failed. If you don't have money, you have no value. Women made in the image of God and loved by him. Sadly, this is a reality for thousands and thousands of women across the globe. And there's a little um, video that I want to show you now, which sums up quite well um, how many of these vulnerable women end up in worse and worse and worse situations.
if I'm told that I have no value, nobody's going to look out for me. If I have no value, if I have no worth, no one's going to protect me from exploitation and I'll not bother protecting myself. And so across the globe, millions of women end up in child marriages. Many of them end up in abusive marriages, contracting HIV, which is then passed on to their children. And so the cycle continues. 15 million a year are married off as children. 15 million little girls married who then end up getting pregnant far too early. It's estimated that around 70,000 of these girls married early in their childhood actually die in childbirth because they're too young to have a child. I'm going to tell you right now, the whole seminar is not going to be misery. But this is reality. People, this is what is happening And of these 15 million girls, every single one is made in the image of God, is precious to him. Every single one has a name and a story and a heart with desires and dreams, just like you and just like me. They're not just a statistic. And for me to stand up here and talk about statistics is a bit bleh. But I'm so grateful to God and so grateful to my friends in Chad, three precious ladies who have been willing to tell their testimonies and who essentially, by means of video, are here with us today. Girls whom I know and love, women whom I respect dearly, and who have been through more than I could ever imagine. So just for a couple of minutes, here's their story, a little bit of what life is like for them as women in Chad. I'm married at the age of J'avais eu la grossesse à l'âge de 13 ans pour prendre une fille. Elle a fait à peu près quelques jours, elle est morte. Il a épousé la deuxième épouse sur moi. Et les rumeurs passent partout. Et je vois que vraiment ma vie était trop désastre. C'était comme ça, je suis fâchée, j'ai quitté. Je suis grandi dans le lieu musulman. Notre papa a dit quand on était déjà grandi, on peut prendre notre chemin. Mais dès qu'on était enfant, on va prier avec lui. Donc la grand-sœur a fait exactement comme le papa l'avait demandé. Elle m'avait interdit d'aller à l'église. Et je me suis accouché mon premier enfant à l'âge de 17 ans. Et je suis divorcée avec lui à l'âge de 17 ans. Et je me suis accouchée. On s'est divorcé avec lui et après ça, je me suis encore remariée à l'âge de 18 ans et quelques mois, je me suis remariée. Et même avec un gars musulman, je suis toujours avec lui, j'ai prié avec lui. Quand j'étais mariée à l'âge de 13 ans, et la tante m'a dit, comme ça, si tu ne veux même pas de monsieur là, quand c'est la fête, tu reviens et n'est plus ton mari. Or, c'était déjà le mariage. Et je viens là-bas et pour revenir, je ne connais pas comment je suis allée et revenir, je ne connais pas. C'est loin. 14 ans, je tombe en grossesse. L'hôtel, c'est trop petit. Je ne pouvais pas me tenir comme ça, me marcher comme ça jusqu'à 5 mois. Je n'ai pas pu contenir l'enfant là. 
C'est parti. Avec des douleurs que... Oui, et mon mari, comme il a l'autre femme, moi, je suis là, il n'y avait plus d'entente. Et il m'a tapé. Il voulait même me tuer. Oui. Ah oui. Et puis, j'ai quitté celui de la Fienga. Ah, 20 ans déjà, non Il y a 20 ans. Je suis venue sans jamais, non Tu vas te marier avec un homme, mais tu es toujours au-dessus de l'homme. Et tu vas faire toujours la volonté de l'homme qui veut. Tu n'es pas indépendant chez toi. Tu es toujours dépendant. Et tu fais quelque chose qui est bon. L'homme te dit c'est toujours c'est pas bon. Ni chez les musulmans, même chez les chrétiens. Ils ont dit que la femme n'a pas de valeur. On néglige toujours les femmes. Et tu n'étais pas marié, on te néglige. Et quand tu t'es marié, ton mari n'a rien, on te néglige. Il a un établissement, il m'a inscrit à l'école. Je partais à l'école, je reviens comme ça, comme ça. Et ça m'a dépassé. Et je ne pouvais pas. C'était comme ça, moi aussi, je suis rentrée dans cette vie. Et j'avais mené une vie qui n'a pas de sens, quoi. Maintenant, la vie est chère, il n'y a pas quelqu'un. C'est la vie libre maintenant. Dans ça, c'était une vie vraiment horrible et dégueulasse. J'ai vu beaucoup de choses là. C'était une vie sale dans ma vie. Et une femme sort avec plusieurs hommes, devant Dieu, c'est déjà sale, n'est-ce pas Ma vie était un peu perturbée, quoi. J'étais vraiment perturbée. Uh -huh. Moi, Dieu m'a... Dieu même pas depuis. Uh -huh. euh, Dieu là, il m'a abandonné. Est-ce que Dieu là, il m'a... Of these statistics of 15 million girls who are married off as children every year, each one, like Nathalie and Fatouma and Sandra, have a name and a story. These are women whom I know very well. I've known for nearly eight years now, whom I love, whom I respect, but have been through so, so much. And millions of women have stories just like them. So one nine girls in the developing world are married off before 15 years of age. One in three are married before 18 years of age. If any of you here have um, little sisters or daughters or nieces, you can imagine, married off before 15. Of course, these girls, because of their vulnerability, because they have not been taught their worth, because they don't have someone who has their back to protect them, they're at much greater risk of domestic violence than those who marry later on in life. And often they suffer horrendous domestic abuse. In fact, in India, just under 119,000 cases of domestic abuse were reported. And I think we all know that those which are reported is not even the whole picture. So many report it every year. And within domestic abuse, rape is a big issue. 2.6 billion girls live in countries where rape within marriage is not criminalised. I know women in Chad whose husbands have abused them to the point almost of death. And then I've sat with people from the church who have said, that's marriage, that's life. 
women made in the image of God, bought with the blood of Christ, but been told that they're not worth it. Disposable people. The Democratic Republic of Congo, 36 women and girls are raped every day, and it's used as a military tactic to shame the other side. That amounts to 1,100 girls per day. Traumatized, used, marginalized. Our world is in a desperate, desperate state. This picture may or may not be familiar to some of you. In February past, in Chad, a young girl, Zahura, um, became a public figure right across the globe. Chad, this little country that most people in English-speaking world don't know where it is, don't know that it, it exists, and yet it became known in the media because of this poor 16-year-old girl. She'd been educated in France, and so her mindset was a little different to the average Chadian girl, very different. She had been gang-raped by four sons of government officials, and then it had been broadcast and put on social media. The president's response was not to protect the girl, but shame. Oh, and so he shut down social media, which remains shut till today. Disposable people. Of course, hundreds and thousands of girls then came forward to say, but this is happening. This has been happening for years. Again, they were told that's just life in this part of the world. Okay. That was pretty hard going, and it begs this question, why is this our problem? These are big statistics, these are deep stories, it's gruesome stuff, but we're in Coleraine, we're in little Northern Ireland, what has this got to do with us? And yes, we've got issues going on here, but is this actually still relevant, and does it matter to us, because there's enough people down the road that we do need to help? Well, I want us just to look at a couple of verses, and I came in late today and don't even know the speaker's name, but I could have hugged the man, um, because it's just exactly the message that I want to communicate today from God's word and what he calls us to do. So I'm not very good at this, but if I can split you into two groups down the middle, so Mike is an issue. So those on this side, I want you to look at the passage, Isaiah 58. And verses 4 to 7. And if you can maybe get yourselves into groups of three or so, um, I'll let you organize yourselves. I'm not very good at that. And I want you to look at these verses, read it out, and then ask yourself, how does God want us to show our devotion to him? How are we to be his followers? What does he ask of us? So that's this side, Isaiah 58. The other side is Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. And just these are really basic questions, guys, but it's to help us think about it. So what behavior characterizes God's children? So Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Again, get yourself into groups of two, three, those around you, and look at these verses and ask yourself, what behavior characterizes God's followers? Okay, so I'll give you just kind of five, six minutes for that. Is that okay? Clear as mud? Okay, so don't be scared. Turn around to the people behind you. Okay, let's come back together as one big group, please. Sounds like some good conversations, maybe. Maybe. 
Okay, so first of all, I'm actually going to look at the Matthew passage, Matthew 25. Um, and this is a passage that many of you know, I'm sure. Jesus is talking about the end of time that comes to, you know, heaven and hell, big topic. And he refers to the sheep and the goats, those who look like God's children, the goats, and those who are God's children, the sheep. And he has something really important to say. He identifies himself, the poor, the imprisoned, the naked, the hungry. And then he says what? God's children are those who do what? Those who were looking at Matthew 25. Shout out some, some of what you learned there from that passage. What characterizes the behavior of God's children? Great. Seeing a need and doing something about it. Yep. And specifically, what sort of needs did Jesus actually mention? Oh, you are awfully shy. Feed the hungry. Feed the hungry. What else? Practical help. Yeah. Get practical. Get your hands dirty. Yeah. How else can we get practical according to what Jesus said? What examples did he give? Clothe the naked. Give clothes to those who need clothes and can't afford them. Give food to those who are hungry and don't have access to food. What else did he say? Visit the sick. Yeah. Visit those in prison. There are loads of examples that Jesus gives us. So generally, are those in prison respected? No. They're considered as nothing, marginalized. Are those who are naked and don't have sufficient clothes to cover themselves, given places of great respect in society? No. Marginalized, vulnerable, at a great risk. And Jesus says, when you gave them food when they were hungry, you did it for me. When you clothed them when they were naked, you did it for me. When you visited them in prison, you visited me. When you didn't clothe them, you didn't do it for me. When you didn't feed them, you didn't feed me. When you didn't visit, when you shunned them, you shunned me. And he tells his children, welcome. They had prepared a place for them in heaven. And for those who looked like his kids throughout all of their lives, but actually didn't follow him and didn't do as he required, sends them to a lost eternity, prepared for the devil. Why has this got anything to do with us? Well, you couldn't be much more vulnerable than somebody who has no clothes. And Jesus said, do it. You couldn't be much more vulnerable than somebody in prison, more marginalized than somebody behind prison gates. And Jesus says, if you do it for them, you do it for me. Why is it our problem? Because he tells us to do something. Isaiah 58, you guys here. What did you learn there? What does God require from us? What is the type of fasting or the type of devotion that God wants from us? Prayer 
One that ends in practical help. Uh huh. Care for the needy. Mm hmm. And helping the oppressed. Yeah. And what specific example does he give in terms of helping the oppressed and loose the chains of injustice? I wonder if it might feel like you're enchained whenever you're being thrown into marriage at 13 years of age. I wonder if it might feel like injustice whenever you're raped by your husband. I wonder if you might feel marginalized growing up in an environment that tells you you are nothing because you're a woman. It relates to us because God tells us that his children are practical. As we've been reminded in the message this morning, his children get out there and do something. Okay, so there's a huge need There's a load of depressing facts out there. There's a lot of really hurting people. We do have a responsibility, but is change even possible? Let's face it. We've heard it so many times, but those countries will never get better. And, you know, you keep giving money and nothing changes. And it's it's always going to be like that. Even Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. Familiar verse from this morning. God gave me this verse um, as he was calling me to start up a ministry to vulnerable women in Chad. And Jesus then came in the New Testament, and as we heard this morning, opened the scrolls, read this passage, and identified himself as the answer. He had come to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. I confess that in Chad at times as I've sat beside the bedsides of people who are dying of HIV or have been brutally attacked by their partners, I've cried out to God and said, God, really? Is there still salvation for these people? Is there still healing for their hearts? Is there still hope? And I have asked that many times. And I don't want to give you the answer. I want to go back to the three women who told us about their stories. And let's hear what they say. Je connais le nom de Jésus-Christ, mais je connais pas son but. Mais Dieu merci, je me suis sortie pour jeter au sale sur la route et j'ai trouvé Naomi devant moi. D'après chaque jour quand on s'est retrouvé avec toi, tu m'expliques bien, on fait les lectures et on lit toujours les Bibles. C'est à ce moment-là que je crois que vraiment je je partais à Jésus. Je sentais un peu la parole de Dieu là, un peu pas tellement quand même mais un peu un peu un peu un peu parce que on se rencontre et voilà c'est dans votre aide. Maintenant je comprends que mon Dieu qui je suis, je suis pas n'importe qui maintenant. J'aime mon Dieu, j'ai tout. J'aime le lire parce que c'est pas j'aime seulement lire et c'est pas que les mots qui les mots qui est dans les Bibles qui qui m'attire. 
mais c'est le fond du cœur. Et toutes les choses, ça réalise. C'est ça que j'aime, ça me touche le cœur. Mais pourtant, Dieu ne me laisse pas le temps. Il m'aime toujours et il me fait des grâces dans ma vie. Pour le moment, le travail que je fais, je n'ai jamais fait un jour. Mais j'ai toujours l'espoir. Grâce à Dieu, il m'a beaucoup fait des choses merveilleuses dans ma vie. Je suis tranquille, des beaux amis, et j'ai redonné ma vie. Il y avait déjà un an et quelques mois de voir. Là, je me suis engagée carrément. Avant, quand j'avais problème, je ne pense pas que le problème, ça peut résoudre. Et j'attrape la, la vie dure dans ma main. Et je ne sais même pas, je ne sais même pas comment pour m'en sortir. Mais au dernier moment que je commençais à lire la Bible, tout était changé. Quand j'avais un problème, je commençais à lire la Bible où je, je chante. Je commençais à chanter la gloire, tout ça, c'est ça qui m'aide à changer ma vie. Devant n'importe quel problème, je sais qu'il est là. Oui, je suis en train de passer un moment difficile, mais je suis fort parce qu'il est là. Il m'a aimé depuis, je ne l'ai pas constaté. Oui, il m'aime, il continue à m'aimer. Malgré ce problème, je suis là encore vivante, je suis fort, j'ai passé des choses horribles, horribles. Il m'a sauvé, sauvé. Il est en train de me former, quoi, de le connaître vraiment. Il est qui, il a fait quoi pour moi et il est toujours à mes côtés. Et je remercie le Seigneur qui a changé ma vie. Maintenant, ma vie a changé. Si j'ai un problème, si problème chez moi, c'est comme je n'avais rien. Toujours, c'est la joie qui est restée dans ma vie. Toujours, c'est la joie. Il a changé l'esprit, quoi. Il a changé totalement mon esprit. Toujours, je suis dans la joie. Sans tout pas te mentir. Women, he had gone through so much abuse. So much disgrace, so much heartache. And here they are saying, I have joy. I know this woman, some of you here have met her. She is joyful. She's still in a really, really harsh situation, married to an unfaithful man. But if she leaves him, she loses her children. But she is radiant. And you heard what she said, and it speaks to my heart every time. Isaiah 61, I, I ask God, is this, is it still real? And Fatuma says, every word in there comes true. If I'm feeling down, and this is a woman who gets brutally attacked, not I'm having a bad day. If I'm feeling down, I go to God's word and I sing his praises and I have joy in my heart. Does God still save the lost? Yes. Does God still heal hearts? Yes. Does God still bring freedom to those who have been brutalized and captive by the lies of the enemy that tell them they are nothing and abuse is normal? Yes, he brings freedom and healing. And it is such a humbling and immense privilege to be able to listen to these girls whom I know and whom I love. 
They're still in really difficult situations. And yet every time I hear their stories, I'm reminded our God is real. They've found work and we'll talk a little bit about the practicalities of the ministry. But the big thing that they highlight is God. God has changed their lives. There's a huge need out there, guys, and it it is really sad to behold. We do have a responsibility and it can be overwhelming, but God still works miracles. 100%. God is a God of miracles. These three women are just a small percentage of the lives that God is doing amazing things in. By the way, they wanted me to, when I, every time I show this, to greet everybody. They know that many people in Northern Ireland and across the world pray for them, and they are so grateful. And now they're being an encouragement to me. God works wonders. That's great. We know change is possible, but what, what can we do? We're sitting in cool rain. What can we actually do? Okay, don't switch your brain off when I say this next word, okay? Please try to pray. You know the way missionaries always come back and say, you know, your prayers really help, and it's like, yada, yada, that's just what you say. It's like talking about the weather in Northern Ireland. No, it really, really works. According to Scripture, the prayer of a righteous man actually works, works miracles. God listens and he responds. But kind of, please, God, help all those women in the world. You know, God honors our prayers, but we need to get informed. And so there's a few organizations just I want to highlight today. I'm not here to promote any one organization. I'm sharing about my work, but just get involved um, with what God's doing across the world. Jengana. doing an amazing work in Kenya. My friend Rachel's here at the front. She'll be over here with some literature um, from Jengana, working with street kids, working with abandoned babies in Kenya, doing an immense work, seeing people who have been abused, who have been marginalized, who have been left for dirt. Find hope, find change, find transformation. You can keep up with them on Facebook. You can maybe get prayer letters from them. I'm not entirely sure. Talk to Rachel afterwards. It's a good way to get informed and to pray well. Mission Africa. Naomi is here at the front from Mission Africa. Um, I'm out with my church, Glen Abbey, um, in Chad, but Mission Africa are facilitating that work out there. So if you want to go, if you want to get prayer information, you can contact Mission Africa and really pray in an informed way. Naomi also has a little jam jar here. Get up and wave it about, Naomi. Be brave. Stand up. (laughs) She doesn't like her jam jar, but it's got treasure in it. Um, There are lots of little prayer points and a few facts as well. And if today, if nothing else, if you leave with one little strip of paper which will give you one prayer request for a girl in Chad, that would be immense. I've used pseudonyms, by the way, not their real names, but there's some meaty prayer requests in there that you can walk away with today already. International Justice Mission is doing an amazing work against the marginalized and the vulnerable and helping to stop a lot of trafficking and abuse across the world. You can become a prayer partner with them. Pretty sure that they have a stand here. And Tear Fund as well has some information. They're doing a great work in India um, and Latin America where women are grossly brutalized and domestic violence is a huge problem as well as child marriage. 
you can actually make a difference. If you can never leave Coleraine or Balamoney or wherever you're from, you can still see change across the globe. Our God is amazing. And these women testify to it and say, people in your country prayed for us. And sometimes there were people here in Northern Ireland who still had hope for Natalie whenever I was nearly given up hope. And they kept praying. And they kept praying for me. And now she sits radiant saying, I have peace, I have joy. Prayer works. So let's do it in an informed way. Lots of information over here for you. Another key way is to get involved with projects that are helping women and children. But I really want to emphasize, get involved with a practical, practical organization. But please, we need to be holistic. Isaiah 61, good news, salvation, and then practical help. And there are a lot of really good organizations out there who are being holistic, who are bringing God's love, his message of salvation, and bringing bread and bringing clothes and going to the, those who have been traumatized. So get informed. Um, Jengana are doing a great work um, in terms of education. Um, one little story which Rachel can tell you about in more detail later. Just one girl who had basically been left as, you know, no good in the slums of Kibera. Huge slum. I think it's the biggest in Africa. Um, nobody. It's considered as nothing trying to make her way through school wasn't getting anywhere and through Jengana, through God's grace she was able to go to a private boarding school and whenever Francois and Rachel went back to see her, I think a year later she was the deputy head girl and soaring through her education she will make a difference let's get involved with organisations that are being practical education is so key um, the ministry that I'm involved in is helping to educate women as well in terms of their value and their rights and how to put up boundaries. And as the remainder of the little video I showed you earlier will tell you, education can make a huge difference. There are lots of really good organizations out there, but these ones represented here are evangelical and practical. So let's just look at the little video to show how powerful education can be.
any of us can get involved in seeing life change across the globe. It's not going to cost a fortune to help educate a girl in Kenya through Jangana or to help with the education of children and women in Chad or projects that Mission Africa and Tear Fund are involved in and we can become a part of that change. Speeding through this, please spread the word. Um, it might just mean changing your Facebook status every so often to put out information to let people know that, you know, there are 15 million child brides out there and we can do something. We can help educate. We can support good organizations. Tell your neighbors, tell your friends, maybe start up a prayer group and be part of the change in the lives of these women across the world. Go. Just finishing off, I want to tell you a little bit about the ministry I'm involved in. Um, Acacia is a rehabilitation center um, in Chad in Central Africa. God helped us get that started a year ago after many years of building foundation and relationships with the women. Lots of little postcards here at the front if you want to grab one later for some information on what we're doing and how you can be involved. Our dream is to bring hope, healing and a future. What God promises in Isaiah 61 to women who have been brutalized, who have been exploited, so that they in turn can bring that to their children. And amazingly, because of God's grace, he's doing it. He is transforming lives. And I'm so humbled. Won't go into it all now, but the acacia tree, um, God give me that image because this tree is amazing. It's considered as nothing special in Africa, much like the women are considered to be nothing special. And yet it has deep, deep roots, which means even in the harshest desert, where it gets mighty hot and there's immense drought, this tree keeps growing, keeps growing, keeps flourishing. And God really showed me if women across the globe, if women in Chad can put their roots down deep into God's truth, how he sees them and the value that they have in him, they too can grow and grow and flourish and be the beautiful people that he has created them to be. And that they can be witnesses and provide shelter for other women as well. Bringing God's hope. Being instruments of bringing his healing. And seeing God bring a future to others just like them. It's a holistic program. So we're doing a lot of Bible teaching. But we're looking at life skills. Subjects like where does your value come from? Subjects like boundaries. What is a boundary? How do you say no? How do you say no to sexual exploitation? financial exploitation, emotional exploitation, spiritual exploitation, and working through this with the women. It's been amazing to hear the woman coming back and saying, Naomi, this guy came to my door last night, and normally I, I, I can't turn them away because I'm just a woman, but I said to him, no, I'm a child of God. You're going to have to find somebody else. Thank you very much. And they were so pleased. And to see these women now radiant and saying, I have value and I am someone. Thank God what he's doing I really 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 need workers like desperately but I'm not going to go into it all now <laughs> if you might know somebody or you want to pray about it or you want to take a few of these postcards and spread them around at your church or your youth challenge or the bible college please do that um, we don't want to see this work um, crumble because of a lack of workers I want to finish up um, again with the women telling you what Acacia has meant to them and just how God has used it. Thank you so much for listening and for participating and please come and have a chat afterwards. Wow, ce que j'ai tout apprécié d'abord, uh -huh. la parole de Dieu. 
la parole de Dieu m'a vraiment, vraiment renforcée. J'étais devenue maintenant autre personne d'abord. Une fois, vous avez mis film, Jésus, film de Jésus. J'ai souri, je voulais l'attraper, j'étais différente. C'est comme si l'enfant qui a perdu sa maman et la maman est arrivée, j'étais comme ça. C'était vraiment... C'est comme j'étais là, on m'a taillé, 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 j'ai retrouvé la forme. Oui, c'était comme ça. J'ai remercié le Seigneur qui nous a ouvert l'acacia. J'ai trouvé tous mes droits. Je connais le bon et le mauvais dans l'acacia. Et j'ai trouvé beaucoup de choses sur l'acacia. Bon, j'aime tout ce que vous nous avez enseigné là-bas. On a fait le cours biblique. Et même vous, vous êtes en train de nous aider à fabriquer certaines des choses. Puisque nous-mêmes, on peut gagner quelque chose et on soit indépendant de nous-mêmes. Oui, j'aime bien faire le savon, même le cas. Je, souvent, je dis, mais si ce n'était pas ça, j'allais faire comment J'allais me suicider J'étais vraiment embrouillée dans l'esprit, quoi. Et maintenant, avec tout ce que j'ai eu, comme l'enseignement, les témoignages, maintenant, c'est bien. Acacia m'a fait rendu que je suis une personne. Et en plus, maintenant, j'ai la paix du cœur. Et la, la paix vient d'où Des dieux. Ouais. Ouais. Et comme tu as beaucoup de travail, mm -hmm. si, ils ont, si on a trouvé la personne qui peut venir t'aider, on a la, la porte grandement ouverte et on va l'accueillir. On va leur beaucoup remercier, mais on n'a rien pour leur payer. Mais c'est Dieu qui va leur payer. Genuinely, I did not tell her to say that. <laughs> Promise, hand on heart. Um, but Fatuma knows that God has worked miracles in her life, and um, she knows that I'm kind of drowning somewhat. Um, so please, um, if you've anyone in mind, do give them a postcard and some contact information of myself or Mission Africa to get involved. Also, in terms of Acacia, there's some soap that the girls have made here and some cards on sale. Um, if that interests you, we're still learning. Um, you know, we haven't quite perfected it yet, but um, it's helping to support them and their kids. Thank you so much for your time. Please don't leave without a little prayer request out of Naomi's jam jar and some information from the mission organizations here. And I'll hang around if you have any questions. Thank you so much much.